Chapter Forty One of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paul, a servant of God. To one member of the Centerville CLSC, the Chautauqua meeting closed unexpectedly early. Paul Adams, who had expected that work on the new cottages would detain him some time after his friends were gone, found, a little to his dismay, that work progressed much more rapidly than he had planned, and that Mr. Tucker was ready to leave on the morning after the campfire. That gentleman apologized as earnestly as though he were violating a previous contract. "'I meant to see the thing through,' he told Paul, "'and I meant you should see it through. But there's that man at home waiting for me, been waiting ten or so odd days and getting in a hurry. I ought to go.' If it wasn't for that stop we've got to make fifty miles or so this side, and there wasn't some work to see to there that I needed your help in, you should see it out anyhow. But the fact is, I've got so kind of used to having you around to do the right thing at the right minute, that I ain't no kind of courage to stop and tend to that work without you. And Paul, his face aglow over this frank acknowledgment that his employer found him necessary, expressed his willingness to be ready for the morning boat. Nevertheless, he was sad over it. In parting from Chautauqua, he was, in a special and more peculiar sense than others knew, parting from a friend. Late as the hour was, after the campfires had faded, and a heap of smouldering ashes was all that was left of the bright story, he hovered around them, photographing the strange scene in his memory. Then, alone in the quiet darkness, he came down the hill, following the familiar avenue that led to the amphitheatre. Letting himself in at the little gate, he passed down the long platform, and took a seat just behind the desk where he had seen Joseph Cook sitting but the day before. He recalled to mind certain sentences he had heard the great orator utter, sentences that, though Joseph Cook may never know it, will be likely to influence all the boy's future." Imagine Paul Adams understanding and treasuring up sentences from Joseph Cook. Well, I do not know that a higher compliment can be paid to his genius than to say that the boy Paul understood at least some of his words, and treasured them. Some of them? Why, during the time that this uneducated boy sat in the darkness on that lonely platform, he recalled entire sentences from Joseph Cook's sermon on temperance sentences which will surely help to make a keen, clear-headed, logical, temperance man of him, from whom the world will yet hear. He recalled entire paragraphs from that wonderful lecture, The Recent Atrocities of Infidelity, paragraphs which built an effectual wall about him, high enough so that modern spiritualism, that subtlest and vilest form of infidelity, can never touch him and he can look down over the wall on the silly crowd below, and laugh at their vapid imaginings. Oh, yes, he understood enough of what the giant intellect poured forth, to be forever led upward by it. Will you not give thoughtful attention to one question? Where else, save on a Chautauqua platform, would the boy Paul Adams have been likely to have secured an opportunity to come within the sound of Joseph Cook's voice? Nay, more than that, but for the Chautauqua training, through the aid of one of its local circles, would he ever have cared to listen to such as Joseph Cook? From the amphitheatre he took long strides to get a farewell view of the hall in the grove. Like Caroline, 
That was, after all, to him the place of places. It was the legitimate home of the circle to which he belonged, and which he had grown to love with no common love. Its round-table gatherings had given him a start toward that form of culture which, as a rule, society alone can give, had put him in a way of acquiring, had, in short, taught him how to teach himself not only, but had made clear to him the importance of giving heed to his opportunities. Arrived at the white quiet building, he entered it with soft tread, and, under an impulse which he did not in the least understand, uncovered his head. He stepped softly onto the platform, drew the armchair, which was the seat of honor, forward a trifle, and settled himself in it. Then he brought up before him in review the many and varied and wonderful experiences which the weeks had brought him in connection with that spot. What a memory the boy had, a special gift from God which he had been in danger of abusing, burying unused save for the commonest and lowest needs. How he had increased the power of that memory by his vigorous dashes into books and his indomitable resolution to conquer them. What a long line of honoured names he brought up before him one by one, and in imagination heard over again their grand words. Dr. Patton, Professor Holmes, Professor Seward, Professor Sherwin, and a long, long list of men who had influence, and whose faces and words he could then recall, came trooping up before him. Not least among them was, of course, as is the case with every true Chautauquan, Dr. Vincent himself, whose face and words and kindly acts, this boy, unknown to him, had enshrined in his heart of hearts, to be remembered for ever, to be talked over when they should take a walk together some day in heaven. This was actually the way in which Paul put it. He was growing ambitious. He had settled, long ago, that some day when they had both been a good while in heaven, he would seek out this friend of his, who yet did not know he had been a friend, and tell him all the wonderful story of what the Chautauqua idea had done for him. Was Paul Adams, then, so sure of living in heaven? Aye, he was. That most momentous of all questions had been settled at Chautauqua. He had earnestly kept the pledge made to Dr. Monteith. He had attended many lectures since, and heard from each one of the speakers, no matter what his theme, some direct and reverent allusion to the book of books. It had been indelibly impressed upon his heart that the Bible was the book to study. Only a little afterwards he took the next step, discovering that the Bible was the book to obey. It was scarcely a step from this point into the communion of the Saviour, so clearly shining forth on every page of the book, and Paul had declared allegiance to him for ever. Oh, yes, he meant to take walks in heaven with Dr. Vincent, and many another whom he expected not to know on earth. But my faith has a nearer sight than his. I believe that some of them will yet be proud to take Paul Adams by the hand, be proud to hear him say, as he will surely say, Under God I owe what I am to the working out of the Chautauqua idea. Halloo! said a familiar voice, as he sat dreaming in his chair, and Paul gave a sudden start and came to his feet to discover that another than himself was taking a late walk, and his old friend Joe Ward stood before him. Dreaming? asked that worthy. No thinking. 
said Paul laconically. Planning how you will build a great pile in this very spot some day which will make the doctor laugh away down to his boots? All right, do it. Build of marble, Paul. We'll go shares. I'll furnish the gold and you furnish the brains. And between us we'll make some of the tomorrows that Dr. Vincent talks about come to pass. His tomorrows will come before our time, said Paul gravely. No, they won't, not all of them. He's the kind of man who will keep on having tomorrows as long as he lives. By the time I get my million ready to spend, he'll be just in the mood to have a good bit of it spent here. It won't be long to wait, either. I'm going to have the funds ready before I'm gray. You be on hand, my lad, with your plans. I've a notion that you and I have got to work together. You will have the brains, I know, and we'll do something or other on this spot that will be worth thinking about. Meantime, old fellow, you are going home in the morning, I hear? Well, I came out to hunt you up. If you feel just exactly like it, and happen to meet father, maybe you will tell him that I've made up my mind to a thing or two since I've been down here. I can't be James, and I can't be you. But I kind of feel as though I wanted father to know that he needn't be sorry any more that I'm Joe. I'll tell him, Paul said this most heartily and then he got down from the professor's chair and put his arm through Joe's, and after a silent last look at the hall, he walked home with Joe, they two speaking words together that were better than marble columns or millions of money, for they represented manhood. Counting from the almanac, Paul Adams had been but nine weeks away from home, Viewed in the light of all the experiences through which he had passed, and the many tears which his mother had shed for him, the time should have been counted by years. He went over it all as he shouldered his old-fashioned satchel, after bidding good-bye to Mr. Tucker, and walked up the familiar street from the depot. How entirely natural, and yet how utterly unnatural, everything looked! Can you understand the two states of feeling possessing him at the same time? The Paul Adams who looked about him on the familiar streets and homes was very different from the Paul Adams who had walked down that same street on his way to the train one June morning. Nothing anywhere would ever be to him as it had been. There are many who realize the meaning of that sentence. There are many to whom it applies. Well for them if, like Paul Adams, they can smile joyfully when they think of it. He was so glad to have all things different. His mother had been looking out for him just as she had been during many days of his absence. The boy had many lessons to learn. One of them was that when away from home he ought to write to his mother. Beyond the first scrawl that told of his safe arrival, and even that was suggested by Mr. Tucker, she had received no word. It had not occurred to her son that he ought to write. Oh, the trials of those nine weeks to his mother, separated from her one treasure for the first time in her life. When Paul is older and wiser, he will look back on those bright weeks with one sorrowful memory. Through ignorance, he neglected his mother. The widow Adams had been true to her nature, and borrowed all the trouble that her fertile imagination could concoct out of the scanty crumbs of knowledge which she possessed. Chautauqua might have been a lair for wild beasts, or a settlement of Indians, for all that she knew to the contrary. Only this bright fact she had, to give her what comfort it could. 
She had herself gone to the depot to see the delegation from the Centerville CLSC start for its distant center. She knew that that center was Chautauqua. Some way it made her seem a little nearer to her boy to be among the eager crowd at the depot, and here mentioned again and again the place to which he had gone. Then, too, Mrs. Fenton had shaken hands with her, and told her they would find Paul and take good care of him, and she had sent a clean pair of stockings and a handkerchief by the same careful hands. Dr. Monteith also had told her they should see Paul the next evening, and give him news of his mother, and he had shaken her old hand warmly, and left a paper in it which he told her was to do errands for her in Paul's place until he returned. The paper proved to be a ten-dollar bank note. On the whole, Mrs. Adams had gone home comforted. But the comfort did not last. She lay awake of nights, and planned her disasters by lake and by land, and wept her bitter tears, and prayed her sorrowful prayers, and looked older and more worn than Paul had ever seen her look, when at last he opened the door of the dismal little kitchen and walked in despite her watching he came unexpectedly as people generally do it was while she was stooping over the oven to take out a johnny cake that she had baked for her supper and he bent over her and kissed her she gave a startled little scream she was not used to having kisses i don't know why he kissed her unless it was that at one of the stations on the road he had watched a grand-looking young man bid good-bye to what was evidently his old mother and had admired, with others, the tender kiss which he left on the withered cheek. I do not mean that the boy Paul was copying his example for effect. I mean, rather, that for the first time in his life that had impressed him as an eminently fitting thing to do, had made him think of his mother's wrinkled cheek, and have, then and there, a strong desire to feel it pressed against his lips. "'Oh, Paul!' she said, and then she set her johnny-cake on one chair, and herself on another, and looked at him. What was different? Had he grown tall? Certainly he had, and sunburned, and his hair was longer, but those were not the changes that she meant. She surveyed him slowly from head to foot. His clothes were the same, she had patched them carefully, she knew them well. The hat was the same, the boots were the very ones that he had taken to be mended but the day before he went away. Yet she felt it thrilling through her, some nameless, distinctly marked change about her boy. The feeling lasted while they were at the tea-table, and they lingered over that meal as they too had never done before. And the boy praised the johnny-cake and the roasted potato, and said he was glad to get home to her cooking again. And the mother almost laughed outright, and was secretly glad she had been so busy with her work that day as to get herself no dinner, therefore this royal tea. He talked with her freely, as he had never done before, told her about that wonderful mysterious Chautauqua, gave her bits of the life there, glimpses of the lake and the bells and the fireworks and the music, which sounded exactly to her like the one fairy story she had read in her girlhood. Then she had her bit of news to tell, she thought about it curiously afterwards, how differently she told it from what she had intended. "'Paul,' she had meant to say, "'don't you think a wonderful thing has happened to us? Yesterday Mr. Ward came to see me, and said his boys were coming home in a few days, and he wanted things pleasant for them, and he hired me to go and live there and be housekeeper. 
he says you can have the little room next to the boys and i can fix it up for you and he gives me good pay isn't that news she had never once thought of consulting him though hers was a timid clinging nature that would have been glad to consult had paul ever given her a chance she did not tell him in that way looking up at him with that curious bewildered look she said instead i have got something to tell you then she repeated mr ward's offer saying nothing about the little room that was to be fixed up for him and ended with what do you think about it paul hadn't i better accept it then did paul take to stirring his weak tea thoughtfully with the pitiful little silver teaspoon sole relic of his grandmother adams's better days and gave himself up to grave thought this was a revelation not in keeping with his plans he had had grand daydreams at chautauqua if he did not write to his mother it was not because he did not think much about her in his dreams he saw the dingy kitchen transformed by paint and paper and white curtains and new furniture into a place of beauty even the transformed kitchen would not suit him long he knew that and although he meant to make haste slowly he could not help taking occasional flights into a farther future delighting his heart with the sort of house that he would one day build for her and the adornings that her own room should have it was this thought which sweetened the somewhat bitter one that a door not of his opening was showing his mother the way to a less toilsome life perhaps it would be better in the end he could save more and work the harder and bring the beautiful home of her own into nearer view well he said at last his mother waiting with an entirely new feeling of deference for his opinion do you like the plan why i like it if you do she said doubtfully she had liked it exceedingly in the morning it wouldn't be hard work they have a most convenient house and they do live at such sixes and sevens nowadays i'm sorry for them you could board there you know she hesitated a little over what word to use a certain fine instinct told her looking into the new light that had come in his handsome eyes that she must say nothing to him about the room that mr ward had said could be fixed up for him she had supported him all his life but not with that look in his eyes but then if you don't like it she added eagerly why we won't say another word about it let him find a housekeeper where he can if you would rather mother would stay in her kitchen i shall like it as well as ever now that you have got home i guess i do like it he said after another thoughtful silence at first it went right across my plan to take care of you but i can't give you just now all you need and this will help out until i get squarely on my feet and be an easier life for you i mean you shall have everything you want mother bless your heart she said catching up the corner of her apron to brush away a tear i've got you again and that is every blessed thing i want he rose up from the table they had sat late and his homecoming had been late he looked at the ticking clock in the corner and saw that it almost marked the hour when his always tired mother went to her bed and he had another thing to tell her he busied himself steadily about the kindlings and the fresh pail of water though she protested that she could do it all as well as not then he came over to her as she sat down by the little stand table for a minute your bed is all ready she said 
I kept it ready, because I was hoping every night that you would come. Her old worn Bible lay on the table, and he knew that she would struggle through a few verses after he was gone, and then that she would kneel down and pray for him. He reached for the Bible, and without a word turned the leaves and began to read. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Those two verses Dr. Monteith had shown him one day, smilingly called them Paul's Confession of Faith, since which time the boy had studied them, until they had seemed to become a part of himself, and were adopted as his own confession. Mother, he said gently to the poor bewildered little widow, that means me. I am a servant of God, and I shall surely have the eternal life, for God who cannot lie has promised it to me. Mother, let us pray. A moment more, and mother and son were on their knees, and the family altar was set up in the widow Adams's kitchen. O oh, Chautauqua, justly proud of your grand amphitheatre with its wonderful platform, of your children's temple, where the truths of the platform are put into use for his little ones, of your hall in the grove, named for the great apostle himself, a hall which is the centre of the literary and scientific circle which will yet encircle the world, you may well be glad that you are also a Christian circle, a Christian centre. You have reason to be thrice glad that the circle of your Christian influence reached far enough to take in the boy Paul Adams. For not only shall he, in the future, make a name of which Chautauqua will be proud, but his prayers and plans and labors will ever reach out toward the center that reached him. And rich indeed is that literary association which is circled by such prayers as the widow Adams shall offer henceforth for all who helped in any way to give to her her praying son. End of chapter 41